feeling fine. You guys feeling okay? <laughs> well, we're going to go in our Bibles. This is Bible study. And if we don't do that, then we'll do some questions. We're going to Matthew chapter 5. I think we were there last week. So we're going through the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples and uh, the Sermon on the Mount is chock full of them, so we'll be in, in and out of here for a, a bit <laughs> if we ever get through all of these. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16 is what we'll talk about um, tonight. We've had some pretty uh, serious and heavy things lately. Try to laugh to make it less. Tonight's not going to be so hard. I hope. Who knows? Maybe God will just smack us all upside the head and straighten us out. I don't know. I hope so. That'd be fine. But anyways, I'm going to stop rambling. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, no, but, <laughs> I added that, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Bad for saying no. I wasn't adding to the Bible. I was quoting a song. You know that. But I just. Anyways, let's pray. Before we go any further, um, topic is salt and light. As you can probably guess. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you, God, for your word and your spirit and your presence. That's here, God. I pray that you would continue to work and, and move, Jesus. I pray, speak to us through your word tonight, God. I pray, draw us closer to you and, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, let us be the salt and light that you've called us to be, I pray, God, to show us how to do that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can stay seated. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a little series, <laughs> a big series, on the lessons that uh, Jesus taught his disciples, and if you condense the lessons, like we've been saying, all uh, the repeats and similar subject matter. There's around 50 or so he left with his disciples. Uh, the ones that we're going to focus on and that have been recorded in the gospel. So we know that Jesus had three and a half years with his disciples physically. And these were the things he wanted to make sure they understood before he left them to start the church. And so it stands to reason that if we want to be his disciples as well, that um, these are the lessons we need to learn. So the first one we talked about was um, before Jesus even called his disciples. And we've been hitting a lot lately, not on purpose. It just seems to happen, but it's repent. Yes, it's a good one. You don't want to preach, preach repent. <laughs> the second one that we talked about was don't worry or don't let your heart be troubled. The third, follow me. Fishers of men, all that stuff. We talked about fishing in Africa. And last week, uh, rejoicing, which is our proper response to persecution, gossip, slander, and just life. 
in general. So this one um, tonight is another lesson that Jesus taught his disciples right at the beginning of their time together. Uh, it's a popular one. It's one that's been taught by many, 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 many times by people smarter than I, but I shall do my best. That's all I can do. Verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt have, have lost... Let's try that again. But ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. So Jesus starts this little section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, you are the salt of the earth. And this is one of those phrases that people have kind of stolen from the Bible and kind of twisted to mean something else. Now, you know, I've heard people um, talk about, you know, people who have no knowledge of the Bible talk about um, other people and use it, you know, he's a salt of the earth kind of guy, right? You say that sort of thing. Uh, you know, he's a real good guy, and it's, it's kind of been warped to mean like a good, hardworking, honest kind of person, real salt of the earth people, you know, you've heard that, right? It's not just, I'm pretty sure they say it here. I think that's where I heard it. Um, <laughs> you know, the kind of people that just um, make life better and they help out and they're just honest, you know, they're not going to rip you off and they're just, you know, work hard and all that. And uh, you know where they stand, they're straightforward, that sort of thing. And so we've kind of warped it into meaning. Um, but that's not what Jesus was saying here. Uh, and that's not to say that the disciples weren't those things, as we know most of them, they were. Uh, they're salt of the earth kind of people. But, um, maybe except for Judas, <laughs> he was a very straightforward. But he compares the disciples that are following him, firstly, to salt. And so the random fact of the day, salt during this time was often taken from the Dead Sea, which, was one of the, which is one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world, 9.6 times more salty than the ocean. Did you know that? Linda did. Salt has so many different uses. So Jesus compares us, his disciples, to salt. Salt has a lot of different uses. The first thing salt does is it preserves. So during Jesus' day, before refrigerators were invented, people would um, put salt on their meat to keep it from spoiling. And there are still areas of the world without proper refrigeration. And these people still use salt with its preserving properties to make sure the meat remains safe to eat until they're ready to cook it. Um, I watched this video about, there's this guy I watch on, on YouTube, he talks about the 1800s and the 1700s, and he cooks recipes and stuff from that time, and he's building a log cabin with all the tools they would use, it's pretty neat, but um, he had this whole thing about fish, and how they would just catch a whole bunch of fish, throw it in a barrel, and pour a ton of salt on it, and that's how they kept the fish, because they didn't have it. So salt was used to um, preserve things, um, you know, keep food longer. And as the disciples of Jesus, we can be used to preserve and protect, in a way, the souls of this world. How? By leading them to Jesus. Luke 17 and 33 says, Whoever shall seek his life, um, seek to save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life, shall preserve it. And 
So lives are preserved when we lose our lives to Jesus. Like we talked about on Sunday, about a dead church. You know, when we die to ourselves and live to Jesus, our lives become preserved. And so we as disciples, it's part of our duty as salt to help preserve others, if that makes sense. So by leading other people to Jesus and by making disciples and baptizing and teaching, then we are helping preserve others for eternity. That's one use of salt. The other, or another, is it flavors. Right? My kids, uh, if they don't like something we're having for supper, Annabelle especially, she will put some salt on it. This is gross. Salt? Sometimes more than she should. It comes out fast. And uh, she does it, why? Because it flavors what it's applied to. It makes sometimes food more enjoyable or tasty, if you're Annabelle, it does. And by offering the hope that we have in Jesus, we invite others to partake in him and make life worth living because there's joy and there's purpose and there's hope and there's peace in Jesus. So part of our job also as disciples as the salt of the earth is to bring that flavor, if you will, to the world and offer that hope that we have in Jesus. A lot of people don't feel like life is worth living and that life isn't enjoyable. Life is dull and dry and bland. And near the end of his time with the disciples, Jesus was kind of summing everything up and bringing it all to a close, even though I didn't understand what was happening. And he said in John 15 and 11, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So there's a joy that we have from Jesus. There's joy in the words of Jesus, and the words of God, and the teachings of Jesus. And if we live them out, we should be able to bring some of that joy or flavor, because we're talking about salt, to the world. Right? And so our job as disciples is to share that joy that hope, that peace that we have in Jesus um, to flavor, to offer that to the world around us. And that makes any sort of sense with the salt thing. Um, a lot of times we offer the wrong stuff, flavors. But we need to be offering what Jesus has. Amen. We're going to be the salt of the earth. Another thing salt does, you guys already know all this stuff, right? Is this making you hungry? Yeah? I'm not hungry, but for salt. It enhances the flavor of something. It makes everything better. You know what tastes better with salt? Just about everything. <laughs> maybe, maybe not ice cream. I think you might use them. Um, why? Because salt enhances the flavor of what it comes in contact with. Without salt, Things can get kind of bland. My mother, she has to limit her salt intake for dietary reasons. And when we go there, when we have, say, soup, for example, it's pretty bland. I don't know if you've ever been, or maybe you're one of those people that you're not allowed a lot of salt. So things get kind of bland without it, right? And um, you put a little bit of salt in there, and voila, chef's kiss. So much better. Right? It make, brings the, the flavors out. I don't know if you've ever been cooking and you give it a little taste, a little... What's the thing you say? Oh, it needs a little salt. Always. 
Why? Because it makes it better. <laughs> Meat, soup, crackers, chips. We have those like low salt chips. They're okay. Not as good as the <laughs> salty ones. Pretzels. You know, have you ever had a pretzel without salt? What is that? Terrible. It needs salt. It brings out the flavor and makes it greater. So, if we are to be <laughs> salt of the earth, we should make the world better. Our being there should make things better. That's what salt does. It makes things better. It brings out the flavor and enhances things. It makes it better. And that's what, so, you know, if we aren't, if we aren't making things better, if we aren't making our world around us better, our workplace better, then there's a problem. <laughs> uh, when I worked at McDonald's, before I was a manager, um, there was a few of us, I worked in the morning, uh, I worked six to two, Seven to three for a while, and then it worked six to two. But there was a few of us that had these set shifts. And um, one lady, or a couple ladies were five to one. One was like five to twelve. Uh, seven to three. There was a couple six to twos. And uh, there was one lady who worked eight to four. And um, I think I might have told her, told you about her before. But uh, she walked to work. And we could see her at the, the main, the front window. And we could see her walking down the road. And you could tell what kind of day we would all have by the way she was walking down the road. You could tell, you could just see, oh, we're going to have a bad day because she's in a mood. And when she's in a mood, everyone's in a mood and she's not happy until everyone else is as miserable as she is. And even then, she's still miserable. <laughs> and she would, well, when she was not like that, she would tell you all the things she was involved in in her church and how she was doing all these things and fundraising and all this stuff. And I was like, what are you doing? People talk about you. And people that don't even work here anymore, they go to these meetings and they're like, oh, yeah, does she still do this? And we're like, yes. She had this reputation. It was the opposite effect. She made, she could make the, the workplace miserable. And you know, I also worked sometimes with people that I went to church with and they could do the same thing. But as Christians, we're supposed to be salt, and we're supposed to enhance and make where we are a better place. And you know, I've had even church people as customers. There was once this manager, I was, you know, um, she was tough. She didn't cry often. A lot of people cried a lot. She didn't cry a lot. But one day she was just crying. She come back and she was just crying because this customer was giving her such a hard time. And I go up and it was a guy from church. And I was like, "What is your problem? My floors are cold. Look, here you go. Get out of here." You're late. And then I had someone else call me on the phone or rip me apart because something was wrong. She didn't hear me when I said my name. She was from the church. I wrote her name down. I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to tell you. She comes through. Oh, how's it going? Oh, yeah, they messed it up. Early. I was like, oh, you guys. We got emails from people. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. But we're... These people, you know, we can, we can be, have the opposite effect. We can make people miserable just because we're not being the salt. And as Christians, we're supposed to bring Jesus to people. We're supposed to enhance, you know, flavor. We're supposed to be, make it better. But some, a lot of times we can just get caught up in our own 
issues and just have the opposite effect. And if we are salt, like Jesus told us to be, then we shouldn't be doing these other things. We should be enjoyable to be around. I know you're going to have bad days. People like to work with me, but there were days when I was upset about something. And people, they kind of, you know, if you have a bad day here and there, people, it's fine. When every day is a bad day, there's an issue. You know, like, we should be enjoyable to be around. You have the Holy Ghost, right? Like, act like it. Yes. Act like you have the joy of the Lord. Act, you know, you've been saved, act like it. You've been redeemed and delivered and set free, act like it. Your worst day is better than their best day because you've got Jesus. And we've got the fruit of the Spirit supposedly working in our lives. We should have these things. We should leave a place better than when we got there. There's another lady. Let's talk about all the ladies. But this lady was the opposite. She drove me crazy because she was so happy. But she would come in. Trisha knows who I'm talking about. She would come in to work. And everyone's like, oh, she's such a sweet lady. And I'm like, stop talking to me. I got things to do. But she was from the church too. And she was just, everyone, oh, just, oh, so, she's so nice and friendly. And she had the opposite effect. Everywhere she went, she just... Everyone, wow, just left the place better. Everyone loved when she came in except for me because she would just corner me and talk to me. And I'm like, no, I got the things to do. Please stop. <laughs> but there's other, you know, there's two ways to do things. And as Christians, we should be solved and we should um, make the place where we are better. <laughs> should speak better too. The last thing salt does, have you ever had a lot of salty things? What does it do? Makes you thirsty, right? Those pretzels are coming. You can't have too many pretzels without water nearby. It makes you thirsty. One of the downsides, if there is one, <laughs> to salt is it makes you thirsty. But even this is good from Jesus' perspective because we, if we are the salt of the earth, our just being around people should make them thirsty for Jesus. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4 and 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said, There's water that I have. <laughs> You'll never thirst again. So there are people that are thirsty that need the water that Jesus has. Our whole purpose and point is to lead people to Jesus. And Jesus is what we need. He quenches our spiritual thirst. And if people aren't wondering what's different about you, if people aren't longing for Jesus after spending some time with us, if people aren't pointing to Jesus after spending time with us, maybe we're missing something or we're not being that salt that we need to be. Our whole purpose, like I said, is to point and lead people to Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 in the English Standard says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to make disciples. We are to baptize and teach them, right? And, and we do that by showing them Jesus in the first place. When people meet us, they shouldn't walk away saying, oh, well, I never want to go to that church. People shouldn't say about our church, well, I'm not ever going to go there because so-and-so goes there. Right? We should be leading people to Jesus. We should be you know, having that sort of effect on them. That they're like, you know, I want what they have. I'm thirsty for what they have. People, 
around us should know that there is something different, a good different, not like there's something wrong with them. I've had people say that about me. But a good different, we should, you know, people should know. And our interaction with the world around us should cause and activate that thirst for Jesus in their lives. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men? If salt's lost its flavor, it's good for nothing, it's useless. A disciple of Jesus who has lost their effectiveness is of no use to the kingdom of God. And in fact, they have the opposite effect. Imagine you have your salt shaker and your food's a little bland because you're at my mother's house. And you put some salt on it. And there's no salt taste. And it's just grains in your mouth. Gross. It's like eating sand that melts maybe. What is this? That's not what you want, right? It's made what you applied it to worse. So I would rather eat something bland than something with sand. It's a nice rhyme, I didn't even plan that. <laughs> and someone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus but rather acts the opposite does nothing good for the kingdom and in fact has the opposite effect and drives people away. And we can lose our effectiveness in appeal, if you will, and just be nasty and rude and a miserable old cuss and treat everyone with contempt and judgmental attitudes and blaming on that's how I am or I just tell it like it is or whatever phrase you want to use. But if you've been saved and have the spirit of Jesus in you, the fruit of the spirit should be growing and you shouldn't be like that. There should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Right? Self-control. I lost the rhythm. There's a song. The kids sing it all the time. And if not, we're having the opposite effect. Brendan Manning said that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I pray that that isn't us because we as salts need to be leading people to Jesus and saying like David in Psalm 34 and 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We should be drawing people to him. And if we've lost our savor or we lost our flavor, we have lost our effectiveness. And Jesus says that the salt is good for nothing and is just cast out to be walked on, which is pretty harsh, but that's how Jesus is. It's one or the other. And the Talmud, which is basically a historical commentary on the Old Testament written by rabbis through history, it tells us that salt in those days, if it lost its flavor, they would just throw it out under the steps, uh, the inclines, the little ramps of the temple area when it rained to give some sort of attraction, traction, not attraction, some sort of traction. Because um, everything in these areas was you know, like tile and slick, and when it gets wet, you're falling down, and if you hit your head on that, it's over. It's pretty, so they throw it like, you know, we put sand on, on the ice. It's the same kind of thing. That's what they would do to keep the priests and people from slipping and hurting themselves, but that isn't what salt was meant for. 
Jesus has all kinds of parables about people being cast out, which implies that they were originally in something in order to be cast out. And there's going to be a whole lot of people who are surprised when this whole thing is over. Matthew 7 and 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And his will is that we live for him, that we follow him, and we make disciples and be salt and light. And if we aren't, then Jesus says we're cast out. And this is serious stuff. So we need to make sure we're doing this right. We don't want to lose our flavor and drive people away. We want to bring people to Jesus. Moving on from salt for a bit, because this isn't the whole lesson. Verse 14 says, Ye are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we've got salt, we've got light. If we are disciples of Jesus, if we are living for him, I'm sorry to break it to you, especially all you introverted people. You can't hide. We can't. We can't blend in, or we shouldn't. I know most of us, especially as introverts, we just want to blend in and have no one bother us. It's like a nightmare. Someone coming over to talk to you. Just no, go away. Please, what are you going to say? How do I get out of this conversation? A few of you know what I'm talking about. I see some smiles. The rest of you are like, well, that's terrible. What kind of a person would think that? <laughs> Part of the side effects of being a disciple of Jesus is that people will notice a difference. They will notice that there is something different about you, and if not, then we're probably not doing it right. In John, Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and it's through us that his light shines. It's through us being filled with his spirit and reflecting him into our world that his light shines. He says a city on a hill cannot be hid. You can't hide a city, especially one that's lit up. I don't know if you've ever flown somewhere, especially at night. Again, the only place I've ever landed in a plane at night was in Africa. Benin, um, Cote d'Ivoire, in Ghana, uh, Accra, Ghana. We've, we've flown to Europe a few times, but that's always overnight and it's day when we get there. Um, that's how they do those flights. So you don't really see the lights of the city. But um, when we landed in Cotonou, Benin, or we landed in Accra a few years ago, you come out of the clouds and you start to descend, and there's just a city lit up with lights. And you can see it for miles. You're not even there yet, but you can see the city. You don't know what the light is from or you know what building it's from. You just see the lights and you see the city. You can't hide it. And you know, when you drive into a city at night, maybe, um, from out in the country, there's a glow over it. Um, you can see the city before you get there. You don't even have to be in the direct vicinity of the city. Um, Paris, as an example, is nicknamed the City of Lights. On the first time I went um, to France with Mike Long, um, we stayed at his friend's house a little out in a little city outside of Paris, maybe 30, 45 minutes drive from Paris, um, called Provence. And um, we went for a walk one night, all of us, around 10. And it wasn't as dark as it should be. Uh, it never, he said it never got completely dark there. Just the dark was kind of dusky. Um, you know, dark enough to sleep, but not so dark that you're scared that there's monsters, because you can see. And um, you know, they can see it pretty well, because I'm assuming it's from Paris, because we went to other places and it was still dark. <laughs> 
like outside. So I'm assuming it's the glow from, from the city. And these big cities, they have a glow about them, light pollution, they call it, and you can't hide them. You don't even have to be in the city to see it. Because light is powerful. And when we as a church and as disciples of Jesus, we are the light of the world. And together we're like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And Jesus says in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You don't light a candle to hide it. You don't turn on the lights in your house and then immediately cover up the light bulbs. That would be silly. You don't, you know, at Christmas, you don't turn on the Christmas tree and throw a blanket over it so no one can see the lights. If you do, please show me. You don't turn on your porch light and then just black it out with something. You know, you don't light a candle and put a basket over it or you're going to have a fire, probably. Um... You don't do that. Why? Because you need the light to see. You don't hide the light away. You know, this is mind-blowing stuff. I know. You know, and you, when you turn the lights on in your house, it's not just for you, but it's for everyone else in the house. Jesus said, It giveth light unto all that are in the house. And the light that Jesus gives us, the spirit of his that is in us, that shines through us, this isn't just for you. It's for everyone. It's in the house. It's not just for you. It isn't just for us to hide here in our little building. We don't, it's not like the middle of the war where we're going to have a blackout and black all the lights out so no one can see this isn't what Jesus is telling us to do. It isn't for us just to hide here in our, our little building. This isn't just for us to keep to ourselves. No. You turn the lights on so everyone can see. So that all can see. And we are the, the light of the world. We're not to be hidden. Or not to be tucked away and separated from anyone. In that way, there's a different way to be separated from the world. But this isn't it. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are supposed to let our light shine so that they can see our good works and glorify God. The whole point of the light is for them to see. And how do they see the light? By us tucking away every Sunday and Wednesday? By us being rude and ignorant? No, <laughs> you know that. Our light is shown, Jesus says, by doing good works. That they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. James 2 and 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, our faith in Jesus is shown by our works, by what we do for Jesus, by how we live, by how we treat people, by how we pray, by how we react to bad news, by how we live. That is how we show our light. That is how we shine the light of Jesus. And if we are not doing these good works, how are they going to see the light? They see the light by what we do and how we live. And if we aren't doing it, they're not seeing the light. And we're failing as being the light. Light, by definition, is a form of energy that makes it possible to see things. So, let your light shine so they can see. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes discipline. But if we aren't doing anything, then we aren't showing. And if we aren't showing, they'll never see. 
You don't light a candle and hide it. Jesus didn't give us his spirit for us to hide it. Salt and light. Both salt and light change things. Salt preserves, it adds flavor, it changes how we experience something. And light helps us see and it chases darkness away and changes how we see something. They both change things. When we are called to change our world around us, with Jesus, obviously. However, they both need to be different than the thing they are touching or changing. If salt is applied to salt, nothing happens. Salt, if salt changes and becomes like the thing it's touching, nothing happens. Salt only changes something because it's different than what it's touching. If the light is, you know, the sun is lighting up your room when you turn your lights on, and the house doesn't change a thing, except your dad gets mad and tells you to turn the lights off because you're wasting electricity. It doesn't change anything because it's the same, but when it's dark, it's different. The light shines and it changes. So in order for us to change anything, in order for us to impact anything around us, our worlds, or whatever, we need to be different than the world. If we are the same, if we become like the world, nothing will happen and nothing will change. If we lose our flavor or savor, nothing will happen. If we hide our light, nothing will happen. Jesus has called us to be different than the world, and by being different, we can affect Change. If we become just like the world, our salt and light will have no effect and change nothing. Salt and light also both have healing qualities. Salt on a wound, it'll sting, but it will heal and close that wound. It will stop the bleeding. And light also heals emotionally. There's a thing called seasonal affective disorder, appropriately abbreviated as SAD. People get depressed in the winter when there's not as much sunlight because we need the light. Light brings joy. When we first got married, my wife and I, not all of us, suddenly <laughs> he's talking about all of us. When Trisha and I first got married, we lived in the basement of a church because they offered it to us. There was a tiny little apartment there, but there was no windows. I know. We'd go to sleep and not even know what time it was when we woke up. It's the only, really, the only time, one of the only times I slept in for work because I had no idea what time it was. It's like, oh, yeah, work at 10, no problem. It's like noon. I never slept that long in my life. It's crazy because the sun never came up and woke me up. <laughs> well, it came up, but it was wild. And after a while, you can get a little bit moody, maybe a little bit depressed, a little bit upset because you need that light. There's places like Finland and um, in that area when spring finally comes because it's so dark during the winter when spring finally comes they have this big old party and everyone comes out and they just have this big festival because winter's over and the sun's coming back. It's wild. <laughs> so both of these things can heal. Salt heals physically, light heals emotionally. Um, 
And we as disciples of Jesus, as salt and light, we can affect our world and bring healing through Jesus. We can bring joy and hope through Jesus and we can impact and change people around us. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and they give it light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men. I am reading this all wrong. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I'm going to read one more part. Once more. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. I don't know if you noticed there's a difference there. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Have you ever noticed that before? Why the difference? I'm glad you asked. The word earth come, in this verse comes from a Greek word, gay which means land, soil, region, country, or inhabitants of a region. All right? World, verse 14, comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means world, universe, worldly affairs, adornment, or cosmetics. That's where that comes from. Or inhabitants of the world. So we got inhabitants of a region, inhabitants of the world. You see that salt? You're the salt of the inhabitants of a region, light, the inhabitants of a world. In order for salt to have an impact, it needs to come in direct contact with something. Right? Salts cannot change, affect, or do anything unless it touches a thing. You can't sit your salt shaker next to your potatoes. I mean, you can, you can do it all you want, but unless that salt gets poured out and touches those potatoes, nothing's going to change. But light, you can affect something from a distance. You don't have to touch a fire to benefit from the glow. You don't have to touch the light bulb for it to work. Right? So light impacts from a distance. I can see a light a good distance away and I can benefit from it. The moon is very far away. The sun is very far away, but I can benefit from that. So in this passage, we are called to be both salt and light. And so we are to both impact the people in direct vicinity of us, people in our direct circles, people we come in contact with, the inhabitants of a region we are called to impact locally, right? We're going to touch something to change it locally, the inhabitants of a region. And we are also called to impact those we may never meet as the light, the inhabitants of the world. And as a church, we are called to impact our area, our community, our circle, but we're also called to impact our world. Let your light shine. People, you may, you know, when you fly into the city, like I said, you can see the lights. You may never get to where that building is, where the light's coming from but you've benefited from that light. You may never touch that light, but you've benefited from that light. may never know you were ever there. You might still know, but you've benefited from that. That light has impacted you, right? Amen. And we let our light shine just by living right wherever we go. 
someone you may never, they may never even meet you, but see how you act and see that light through you. So we impact by touching and being in contact with people that are close to us. We also impact just by living for Jesus. People you may never even know. Salt and light. Salt needs to contact to be close to effect. Get down to the needy greedy. And light. Don't seclude yourself. Don't hide yourself away. Let your light shine. You can impact someone just by being a Christian. Just by people might even just see how you act. And that's why we need to we need to act right in public and you know, when you go to restaurants, especially when you're dealing with people that, you know, it's easy to get mad at and blame them for something that's not their fault. You may never get their name, but you can impact them. Same with missions, give them to missions. We don't always go, but we impact someone from a distance. That's the light shining. So in order for salt to work and be effective, it needs also to be scattered. The early church was scattered and affected their world, and so I think it's time for us as a church to get out of our salt shaker and touch someone around us, and it's time for us also to get out of the bushel and let our light shine. Amen. hope that makes sense. Different. Let's stand. Let's pray that God would help us to be these two things. He's called us to do this and to be the salt and the light. And I got just about all I can out of these two words. Let's pray that God would help us to be that. To impact those that we're in direct contact with and also impact people maybe we would never even meet or see, but they see us and they somehow know where you go to church and they, they somehow you know, come or whatever, and, and God works in their lives. So let's, let's pray together.